0: If you are in an environment in which you are not celebrated for what you uniquely bring to the table, move. Do it. You're just going to keep beating your head against the wall. If the environment doesn't allow you your individual strength, you've got to find a different environment.
1: I'm Amy Joe Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now Show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. Cindy Eckert, formerly Cindy Whitehead, might be the world's most interesting woman. She is an entrepreneur. She has built and sold two pharmaceutical companies, and she's the creator of The Little Pink Pill. She exited for more than a billion dollars with this specific company, and in total, she has $1.5 billion worth of exits, but who's counting, right? So Cindy just plays by her own rules. She writes her own rules, and she pretty much defines what it means to be a renegade. The woman is unapologetically true to herself, and it's serving her very, very well. Over the last couple of years, Cindy has created and been running The Pink Ceiling, which is a cross between a VC fund, an incubator, and a consulting firm with a focus on women and female entrepreneurs. She also has something called The Pinkubator, which helps foster and develop Female entrepreneurs. One of the reasons I think she also might be the world's most interesting woman is she has pet pigs, you know, just as you do. Everything is pink when it comes to Cindy. She's branded herself pink and it's really changed the way I look at that color. I always used to think of pink as girly and soft, but that's the opposite of Cindy. She recently was quoted in Entrepreneur Magazine saying, the injustice I'm fighting with the pink ceiling is not only women's limited access to capital, but also their limited access to mentors. I could not agree more, and I am so on board with everything that she's doing to help mentor other women. She's also been quoted in Fortune magazine saying that her investment strategy is to, quote, make other women really effing rich, end quote. One of the things I really appreciate about Cindy is that she is not afraid to talk about money. She's developing products and companies and investing in products and companies that are changing lives, especially for women. And she is unapologetic when it comes to talking about money and making money. And this episode is definitely not just about women. The renegade mentality that this woman has can help anyone, and she's such an innovator. The things that she shares are specifically applicable to anyone who's looking to tackle their why not now. We tackle the most taboo topics on the Why Not Now show. Oftentimes, you're hearing guests share things they've never shared before. In the spirit of things we don't typically talk about, you should know that the Why Not Now show is supported by Poopery, the original before-you-go toilet spray. It's magic. My friends at Poopery have literally taken the smell out of, you know what? This pure blend of essential oils stops bathroom odor before it begins. Visit poopery.com and why not now listeners get 20% off with code WHYNOTNOW. That's all one word. And you can hear the story about Poopery in our interview with founder Susie Batisse. That's Why Not Now episode 28. Poopery is also available at Target. Cindy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. This is going to be good. I can feel it. I, I just already feel that I know a little more about your energy, having um, heard about you from friends, but also doing my research. So before you we- can feel the
0: shocking pink ripple <laughs> through the connection, right?
1: <laughs> yes. And I can't wait to talk about pink uh, down the road because- Good. Uh, yeah, that's actually on my hit list. Uh, and before we hop into those things, can you tell me about a time when you had to ask yourself, why not now? You had to big decision to make. And we will talk through that day, that minute, that hour and dissect
0: it a little bit. For sure. So I'll tell you, I've built and sold two businesses. And the first one was in male sexual health. It was called Slate Pharmaceuticals. And I was standing at a conference in Miami. It was the Sexual Medicine Society meeting. Who knew there was one of those, right? (laughs) (laughs) Card carrying member of the Sexual Medicine Society. And at that meeting, a company that was innovating in female sexual health was making a decision to walk away. And it was incredible to me because they were walking away in the face of amazing scientific discovery, a robust scientific platform, So it was obviously not for that reason. I think it was on the basis, what became so clear to me, it was on the basis of a societal narrative around female sexual health. So I spent a year, I dug in, I talked to women who lived with dysfunction, who lived with this lack of desire. And I went to my board and I said, I'm gonna take this on. We had a company that was flying. Like We had gotten out of that painful period of startup where you tripped and stumbled, we, our growth curve looked amazing, here we were dominating male sexual health, and I go to them and say, hey, guess what, we're gonna sell it, we're gonna go back to all of those shareholders, we're gonna ask them to give us the money back, and we're gonna go on this for women. Something that nobody had ever done before, but that was the moment, it was why not? Why are there 26 drugs for some form of male sexual dysfunction, but not a single one for women, and why not me to see that across the finish line?
1: And the why not me is such a good stamp. I love, I love that. So take me back to being at this conference and yeah. was it a quick, just, you knew, all right, this is happening. Obviously you went on for a year to do your research and dive in, but did, was it a moment of aha, I got it? Or was it like, I'm going to look into this?
0: I'll tell you what, it was an aha, uh-huh, I get it. And, and here's why. So I knew that there was this emergent scientific understanding for female sexual desire and what's happening biologically when something's going wrong there. And I had been a spectator to the science, you know, cheering it on. Finally, we're going to get one for women. And then I went to the conference this year and all of the clinical community who was filled with enthusiasm that we were going to finally break through were sad Like you could feel, it was a palpable change, like in the mood. And the reason was, was because this German company that was spearheading this innovation had gone out to all of them and they said, We're walking away. And what they did is they told these doctors, who at this point had women in clinical trials, they were on the drug, they were seeing a difference. They went out to these women and they said, You're going to have to bring all your drug back. So, one particular physician in one particular doctor, decided, the visionary that he is, I'm going to film this interaction. So they came into the office unknowingly. They were there for like a regular checkup. They were in these clinical trials. And during that visit, he said, hey, do you mind if I film this? Great. And he said, listen, I hate to deliver this news, but the company is going to walk away. Today, you need to give me all of your drug back. And at that meeting, he showed me those videos. And what I saw was women breaking down They had lost something. They'd finally gotten it back and somebody was going to take it away from them again. And what I saw in that moment was the impact and I think fully appreciated sitting in their shoes and what that could mean to you. And that's why I set out for a year and did nothing but talk to them and really to walk a mile in their shoes. When I did that, when I sat, when they were kind enough to share their stories with me, when I fully appreciated and listened to them I thought, by God, everyone is going to listen to them because they always had deserved to be the center of the conversation. We were holding up progress, not because we didn't understand it scientifically. It's because we failed to understand it by our own norms.
1: Wow. As I'm hearing you, it seems like this magic of science and data Colliding with intuition at the very same time,
0: which is a beautiful combo, and you and know, I, logic. I it's like wow, it. empathy. No, I, mm. I'm I'm sorry. Like I'm so excited by you saying that. I couldn't be. I couldn't uh, agree more emphatically that I think it's empathy. You know, at the end, it's about our ability to listen. And in a world that has gone to everything data, everything by the spreadsheet. In fact, it is that empathy that I think informs decisions differently. We had the data. Science had given us the answer. We just weren't listening to it because of our own personal biases and the ways in which we can, quite frankly, get in our own way.
1: And and it seems like there was such clarity. And so having worked in the industry for so many years, even prior to starting your own first company, and now you've had... $1.5 billion worth of exits between your two companies. And now you actually have, is it fair to call it female Viagra just for the sake of?
0: (laughs) It's what the media calls it. I will say that. And contextually, I get it. It's a breakthrough first for women. But we definitely need to talk about how it doesn't work that way at all. It okay. could be more different. You know, desire for women is not its not a blood flow issue. Um, desire is in the brain. My and dad. that's what happens for women <laughs> um, when they lose it. Biologically, there's a brain chemical imbalance. So, um, But yes, for sure, that's the media moniker. So then, well, and
1: the, originally it's the pink little pill, right? Is that...
0: The, yeah, the it, little pink pill. The little mm-hmm. pink
1: pill. And... You ended up building and selling this company, and then you bought it back for almost nothing, right? So can you kind of oh, take us? or oh, for nothing, pretty much.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So not almost, just. <laughs> I got it in a twenty-five million dollar loan, but you know, um, yeah, I you know built it, and um, it was such a labor of love, and it was a roller coaster ride that um, was not easy. And in so many ways, a tale of two genders. If having lived building a company with a male sexual health drug and then taking this on, wow, is that a very different process? That was eye-opening for me. Uh, but ultimately, you know, because of just the absolute conviction in the cause and the strength of the science, we won the day. And when we did, a big company came in, they saw the opportunity to march this across the globe to make it broadly accessible to women, and we sold the business for a billion dollars up front. Unfortunately, there wasn't a billion-dollar happy ending. That company went through uh, a lot of change, and very quickly, in fact, after our deal closed, only 11 days after our deal closed, they got a letter um, questioning their drug pricing practices. After that, there was a disclosure of a pharmacy relationship they hadn't previously disclosed. And frankly, the world went sideways. And with that, the the drug basically lost focus. Uh, You know, here's an organization that was going through great turmoil. This was the last thing in. And more or less, they sort of put it back on the sidelines. So that was heartbreaking. You know, we didn't see this through and cross this finish line for women, for them to ultimately not have genuine access to it. And so, really, from the day that my entire team was gone, I started knocking back on the door and saying, "Okay, women aren't winning here. That doesn't make any sense and uh, And ultimately, that precipitated getting the drug back.
1: If we can just kind of almost bookmark that for a moment because I'd love to go back to your childhood, and you know as as you're sharing your story, you have such a unique approach and clearly just even unique brand. And, and I learned about the fact that you moved a lot when you were younger, you were changing environments. And that's actually something I have in common with you. And I am so grateful now at the time, it might've felt a little, a little differently, but can you talk a little bit about how you think that has impacted your path in life?
0: For sure. So, you know, I moved, I I say I had a nomadic childhood and I say that because I moved every year from the fourth grade through the 12th grade. So just like you, Amy Jo, probably kicking and screaming um, every time my parents delivered the news that we were moving again. But the perpetual new kid, I think it really has served me well in the sense that I had to listen. I had to stand at the side of the room and really appreciate, I think, what was going on in the environment And frankly, I had to get over the idea of the worst happening. And I know you love to talk about, you know, what's the worst that can happen. And I think you go into when you're new, when you go into an unfamiliar environment, you think, oh, gosh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And lo and behold, it doesn't. It actually works out. And so I think over, you know, the repetition of having to do that over and over in my life, I ultimately lost the fear. Mm -hmm. And I think that fear coupled with the perfecting the ability to sit back and listen has served me incredibly well in business.
1: The sit back and listen, it resonates with me and the the adaptability, I imagine. I was speaking with a parent not too long ago and they were getting ready to change to move cities and they were really worried about taking their kids out of school and putting them into a different school in a different city. And um, and I said, you know what? I honestly think that was one of the best things that ever happened to me when I was growing up now that I reflect back because we do have a different perspective. Yeah,
0: yeah those ages, right? Because you think that, you know, your little world is the whole world. Yep. And then I think you shift environments. You're in different places and you start to realize it's only but a piece of it. And in fact, there's a great big world out there with a lot of different opinions, a lot of different uh, possibilities. And so I'm with you. I, I look back on it thankful. I promise you at the moment in time, my parents would say, I, I was not thankful having to pack up and move again. Um, but hindsight is is always 2020, and, and I'm grateful for having had that childhood.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I can imagine. So let's talk a little bit about where you are now. So you, you started the pink ceiling and the incubator, And what you probably didn't know at the time was you were going to become the CEO of this company again, right? You're getting it back. So talk us through kind of how that felt to you. And was it a moment of, I need to choose? Can I do both? Uh, and also fill us in a little bit on the pink ceiling and incubator.
0: So, you know, it's funny when you said that, you probably never thought this would happen. I think somewhere I knew it would. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Addy was so much a part of me. So the the product under Sprout, there wasn't a day even after selling it that I didn't wake up and think about it and think about that mission and why we did it in the first place. And in truth, when I was out of it and the acquirer had it, you know, the pink ceiling was really a pass through of that work, having had a front row lesson and what it means when women advocate for themselves, when they speak up and, you know, fixing those injustices, like the imbalance of how many drugs there were for men. And yet, you know, there were none until we broke through in 2015 for women. So the pink ceiling was about, okay, you know, how do I now reach my hand back and get other women to these same outcomes that I've gotten to? And how do I get them there more quickly? And how do I invest in this breakthrough ideas that people typically laugh out of the room, but actually make an early bet on them and help them see it through things that are often catalyst in social conversations? Um, so, you know, I'm so proud of the companies inside of the portfolio, whether it be, Um, the flushable pregnancy test that Leah Diagnostics has come up with and gotten FDA clearance for. You know, this is not your mother's pregnancy test. It is eco-friendly. It is, I think, going to stoke the conversation around, do women always really want to save their pregnancy test with the little smiley face for everybody? Or is, is there really an interest in getting rid of that, including compassionately for women who go through infertility, you know, do they want to go in every day to their bathroom and be reminded that they're not pregnant again? I think that these companies are, you know, social change companies. They are innovative, the undercover colors, they have a technology that detects date rape drugs and drinks. My gosh, it's game changing and game changing, not only in its innovation, but game changing in terms of the conversation we have to be having in terms of what's happening on college campuses. So I'm so proud of all those companies. And I think that, you know, the commonality is there's so much like Sprout. So when Sprout came back, it's gone into the portfolio, if you will, under the whole pink ceiling because the mission is the big mission. And it's the mission about leading change in women's health and in health tech and leading change in terms of, female founders who get to extraordinary outcomes. They Mm -hmm. certainly have all the moxie, but they're being overlooked by the system. Here's a stat, 2% of venture capital goes limit. So at face -face value, what we're saying there is half of the population has 2% of the good ideas. Ridiculous. Yeah right? Ridiculous at face value. And in fact, we have all of this data about the outcomes that women get to. So I don't want the the billion dollar exit club to be a lonely one. It makes no sense. So I'm going to get other women there.
1: We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you are digging this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. It just takes a moment and it means a ton to us. Also, after recording more than 100 episodes, I've created a bit of a cheat sheet on the top five things I've learned from renegades and how they get from idea to action, from dreaming to doing. I will email you the downloadable PDF when you subscribe to my newsletter. Just head to amijomartin.com and click on connect with me. Just looking at the types of companies under your portfolio and innovation and the the functionality and practicality and the why didn't this exist before is so you know it's really cool and it's empowering to think that you know I've been out there and had to raise money before and most of my mentors have been men because I came from professional sports and entertainment technology and i read that you you know you talk about the pink ceiling not only encouraging it and, and offering up access to capital for women, but also access to mentors. And I think that's sure. a huge point
0: because I didn't have any female mentors, period. For sure. I think it's, you know, what, think just imagine for a second, if you can't see what is attainable, if none of the examples that are put in front of you look like you, you don't necessarily believe. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's a real crisis, I think, for women in business. I mean, here I am in blazing hot pink in the pharmaceutical industry where 3% of CEOs are female. When I looked up in the organization as I started out, no one looked like me. Now, the good news is it's cultivated, I think, redefining mentorship for me. And I talk a lot to the women that I invest in today about you got to look to your left and your right. Right. Because let's be honest, right now, there aren't enough female leaders to be the sponsors of us to get to the next level. I mean, certainly there's a group working very hard, but you do start to cultivate, I think, that ability of learning from everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's so important. But if you, the data, I'm going to go back to data again, 90% of women say that they feel they don't have a mentor. That's incredible if you look at that stat. Mm -hmm. And most of those women, if you ask them, would like for it to be a woman. And that makes sense. I think there's a certain candor in the conversation that can happen woman to woman an appreciation of the unique challenges that she's facing. You know, inside of the pink ceiling, we are propelling these businesses, rolling up our sleeves, pushing them forward. We're also being really frank. You know, our conversations aren't always all, um, you know, rainbows and happiness. I think that many times it's this very candid discussion, especially with younger women who see a path today thank God, they see a path of, you know, paving their own way, owning their own business. But many times I'm sitting down with young women and going, okay, great. Once all of your sorority sisters buy it, then what? Mm -hmm. And the idea is not scalable or sustainable. And what I don't want to happen is in a culture in which we're very sensitive about these conversations, that she's encouraged despite the fact that it's not really scalable and I think, again, the woman-to-woman conversation that can happen there is really meaningful. You know, if you think about the good guys who want to be helpful, will they be as frank today? It's a, kind of hard for them because they don't want to be seen as not encouraging, not supporting. And so they might not be as frank. And what we don't want to have is a you know, group of women going out there. They've got all the moxie to do it, but maybe not yet latched onto the right idea they go forward because they're not getting that, you know, feedback, and then they fail, and we reinforce a narrative that women don't have what it takes. They absolutely have what it takes, but they need mentorship to get there.
1: Absolutely, and it's it's interesting. I think about I had this uh, large bicycle manufacturer as a client at one point when I had the, an agency, and their kind of motto for creating women's bikes and models was. Shrink it and pink it, right? That was like we'll, we'll just yeah, that's all it is. You make it smaller, you put color, you put the color pink on it, and it's ready for for women. And it's like you're the antithesis of you know of that. But I think when I when I first started researching you, Cindy, and I saw the pink, and I I can see it like visually your brand. Obviously, it's called Pink Ceiling, Pink Incubator. You're wearing pink. And I, I have this almost visceral reaction that probably goes way back with that color. And this is where I, I'm like kind of, um, I'm coming out, I'm, I'm admitting. I think I have overcorrected so far what I have identified pink as being weak, as being I can't go there, especially in the industries and And the nature of the business that I started my career in, it just was, I started to overcorrect onto that masculine side of traits. And it's interesting because I realize it now and I realize I thought it was an asset. I thought I was playing the game and that would get me further.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: now I realize, and I see other people doing that too because they just think that's the way, that's what you have to do is become the bulldog, rough around the edges. And wow, I, I was so wrong. And so the way you own Pink and from what I've been able to absorb and and listen to and learn from you already is so cool because it's reinventing the definition, right? I, I'm like, okay, cool. You know what? I think pink is growing on me again.
0: <laughs> I love it. Okay, that's the that's the most honest conversation. I love it cuz look, I get to your point. I think a lot of women even see it and have a reaction to it because of that narrative as we've gone through and been told to, you know, be more like a man, dress more like a man, pull your hair back, don't wear makeup. And you know, pink for me is about unapologetic I love pink. I've always loved pink. If I look back at childhood pictures, I'm pretty much always in pink. And, you know, it is about owning it as a woman. And it's not just that you don't have to lose your femininity in business, but it is a little bit to your point in a reverent pink in the sense of, you know, in gender stereotypes, we really come down to two decisions. You can either pull back from it And you pull back from it really probably in frustration or even worse self-doubt, or you can actually go right toward it because it's a conversation that we need to be having. You know, I started wearing pink religiously when people were talking about the little pink pill. And what was happening is that people were saying, oh, the little pink pill. And all that was missing was, you know, the dismissive pat on the shoulder uh, and the sing-songy voice. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) I thought, that's cute. Exactly. You've nailed it. Like, oh, Cindy, that's a cute business. And I thought, okay, actually at the heart of that reaction is what is holding up progress. And so I started showing up in blazing hot pink at the FDA and said, hi, I'm here, and we're going to have this conversation. And so, you know, we talk about that all the time. I go to a lot. I'm very fortunate to have the ability to go to a lot of, you know, women's conferences and speak with these incredible rising star business leaders. And uh, and I still hear that advice. I hear that advice of, you know, blend in, don't stand out. And mine is t- the absolute opposite. And that is if you are in an environment in which you are not celebrated for what you uniquely bring to the table, move. And I know that sounds hard. And people say, oh, I can't do that. Do it. You're just going to keep beating your head against the wall in that environment. If the environment doesn't allow you your individual strength, you've got to find a different environment.
1: Create your own. Yes. And that's what's so beautiful about today is you do have options. You know, there are yeah. a lot of different things. So when you are evaluating potential companies that you want to invest in and female founders, clearly you have a passion for this type of innovation and purposeful products and innovation. What other criteria are you looking at? Are there any first like, filters that you you know pretty quickly within a Minute or two of a conversation with someone of whether or not it's it's going to have legs.
0: I think it is relentless passion for what they're doing, and I'll tell you, there's two things. So I I, I look for this certain relentlessness in their in their pursuit, that unapologetic mm-hmm. um, aspect of it, and the other piece I look for is self made. If you come to me and you've had all of the privilege of access, and you have the right network already and you, your family's vacation together, (laughs) you know, whatever fancy place or the anointment of the B school, somebody else is going to help you. I'm going to help those people who are going to scrap it for themselves. That self-made quality, those folks that when I asked them the question of what's the first way you ever made money, they talk about when they were a little kid and they printed flyers and put it in their entire neighborhood and said, call me for odd jobs. And it's that type of drive and you know that relentless pursuit uh, that is all the difference for me. I say if you to a founder uh, that I've invested in, they all have these incredible stories. I think of overcoming obstacles and really finding their own way.
1: With the romanticism around raising money and startups and you know, becoming an entrepreneur and it's Silicon Valley and all of that stuff, especially having lived in a very tech community and, and being a part of a fund that was that was it. Unicorns, unicorns. is like, oh my gosh, zip it about the unicorns. But do you think we've gotten to a place where people are raising money that they don't need?
0: Yes. Huge problem. I got to tell you, it's just this, because what has happened, I think, is you know, I love the notion that we've celebrated this as a path. And I think to your point earlier about there's so many more opportunities today for women, they voted with their feet. I mean, if you look at how many more women are starting businesses than men, they are making a decision that corporate America isn't working for me because it's not advancing me. So I'm going to go out and do it on my own. That is great. I love that aspect of, if you will, the romantic, the, the shark tanking of um, startups and that view of what it can be. What i Hate is the idea that we celebrate raising money as if definitionally that is success. You know, raising (laughs) money is the beginning. It is actually, it's debt. Exactly. For me, in terms of, look, the moment in time, I think that this idea of glamorizing funding as if that's definitionally success is so off the mark because that moment in time when I got those first checks in, Abject terror began for me because I knew that now it was on me to execute and I had to pay that back. And then some, I was paying back what became children's college funds, what became opportunities for people to retire. There's an arrogance today in the notion that money flows freely. You know, it's the Silicon Valley effect of, oh, well, everybody's got a checkbook and they'll write and they know, they know that it's a risk. Of course, they know that it's a risk. But that kind of arrogance and founders, like, eh, sort of laissez-faire and the celebration of failure anyway, is not okay.
1: Yeah. It's great to hear you say that, especially as someone who has, has created, you know, the pink ceiling, which is investing in companies, but also focusing so much on providing guidance and feedback, too. So it's kind of both. It really is.
0: Look, I'll tell you, that's a very honest conversation I have with my founders will every single one of them knock it out of the park with this? By the numbers they won't. But will every single one of them put it all on the line and go all in a hundred percent. And I think that's the difference is the folks that show up, they keep trying, they see it all the way through and they do that out of a responsibility because they've taken your money, And they believe that it is on them to execute and pay it back. And that's a clear distinction. I think that comes to light actually pretty quickly when you're talking to entrepreneurs today.
1: So what is one lesson that you've had to learn over and over? You find yourself repeating.
0: Expect the bullshit, but never accept it. (laughs) I think that the answer is I've learned over and over that you will be met with absurdity. And it will be the power of o- your own resolve to overcome it.
1: So do you have an example for that? <laughs> it sounds like it well, could be a know, good my, story. My little,
0: my little example is 11,000 women worth of data submitted to the FDA and rejected, um, despite the fact that we had a pre-agreed roadmap of the work that needed to be done, the outcomes that had to be met with statistical significance. But despite that, I got to no. know. And I was blindsided by it. And I think I was blindsided by it, not only because I had lived the path for a male sexual health drug, which was distinctly different, but you know there was this moment that could have crippled the business. And what I did is I returned to the heart of why I was doing it in the first place. And it was for women. And I went back to my inbox and I sat through the weekend and I read all of the notes that they took the time to generously send to me asking me to keep fighting, thanking me for letting them know that they're not alone. And on Monday, I showed up in the office and told the company, we're going to dispute the FDA. So, you know, was that bullshit? Felt like it. (laughs) And it felt like something that deserved a bigger conversation, a more thoughtful conversation, a conversation with patients at the heart of it. I mean, that's one example. You know, I think there are examples of showing up in a room for funding, again, blazing hot pink in a room of, you know, blue and gray, starting to talk about women and sex and having the whole room erupt into giggles. How do you learn over time how you're going to get people to pay attention quickly? And, you know, with that, I would lead with brain scan studies and I would look at them, point to them and say, are you looking at what I'm looking at? Because in black and white, we were talking about biology, but all <laughs> Those things happen over and over again. The good news is you perfect a sense of humor um, from that. And I think if you can perfect a sense of humor, what happens is it gives a permission to maybe the other person who misstepped to excuse himself and say, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. And, uh, and that's the right way to approach it.
1: And you strike me as, as such a confident individual, but, but more so you're just very sure of who you are and who you aren't. And you know we we do go through life with a lot of layers that are added to us of conditioning. And it seems that you've really been able to either shed or avoid those layers piling on. What advice would you give to people who are listening, men or women, who just don't feel that they are at that unapologetic core? And and how do you get how do you move toward that?
0: You know, I, I, here's what I think it boils down to. I think it's the distinction between competing against others versus competing against your own personal best. And I think that if you worry about competing against others, you worry about what they've done that you haven't, what, what you should know and don't, what they know that you did, whatever that may be. And I think that, you know, just maybe that was born again out of moving all of the time, being in those environments and having to be, you know, that odd kid that nobody was sitting next to yet at lunch. I I got there, but it took me time over the course of those years uh, as the new kid in school. And I think it was about like, it's not about me versus them. It's about me being the best that I can be. And I think that changes it for people. I think when you aren't worried about where you stack up versus others, but how proud are you of yourself? in terms of how you're showing up every day, that freedom to be who you authentically are comes.
1: That's a great kind of the, the one horse race. It's a great filter check, just like question to ask yourself too and just do take stock. Am I am I really out there comparing and competing or is it more of an internal, you know, look in the mirror and I I really love that. And clearly you're a busy woman you are, not only do you have the pink ceiling, but you've taken back on, you know, the company that you thought you had sold and exited and here it is again. And rightfully so, it's where it belongs. What are some of the things that you do throughout your day to operate as efficiently as possible, whether it's time management or, you know, mental health, uh,
0: any tips and tricks? I surround myself with incredible people. And it's really that simple. That's my trick. Uh, You know, I have hired the most incredible people over the course of time. They are quirky. They we are the weirdest group of misfits. They um, have a total constructive irreverence. When we get into rooms together, we can blatantly disagree. But when we walk out the door, we're locked arms against the world. And I think that, you know, that environment in which you are constantly um, motivated by the people you're surrounded by, challenged by the people you're surrounded by, it makes it not be work. It makes the day be, you know, my, it's my joy. It's my joy to get the privilege of, you know, working alongside of them to work on the kind of projects that I get to work on, to have the privilege of people who have incredible ideas, you know, walk through my door and tell me how, you know, they're going to, Put those into action and make meaningful change. I, you know, it, it is. I I probably, I probably work. You know, all the hours uh, of the day and night outside of the time when my brain literally shuts down. And says, like, that's it. But it's really, it's my passion. It doesn't feel like work.
1: That's the goal. That's awesome. And is there anything you've been thinking about doing that now you're asking yourself, "Why not now?" Personally or professionally? I mean, clearly you have your hands full, but I, I'm sure that. The way it appears that you're made up in your DNA, that's just how you are. Is there anything that comes to mind that right now you're green lighting?
0: You know, I think what I'm green lighting right now is why not redefine pharma? Mm-hmm. And I I've loved this industry for years. I love it for what it has the ability to do in people's lives. I hate how it gets it done. And actually, the last few years inside of the pink ceiling. Have allowed me, you know, exposures to business leaders in such different sectors, and you know, the ability to sit and listen to them and how they've built it and what their, you know, why not now moments were that I'm starting to apply those lessons back into a sector that I think has gotten fat and happy and late or found lazy, maybe I should say, mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of innovation. So even as we've thought through bringing this product to market, I'm probably doing it different today than I would have done if it had stayed in my hands just two years ago. And that is that exposure to others, that continuing that curiosity of learning from others and starting to apply it now. So I think the why not now is, why not um, define this on our own terms? Everybody who reports on this wants me to just care about how this drug does vis-a-vis the male drugs. It's not my definition of success, actually you know my definition of success here is women having a choice and women having a fair conversation that has evidence at the heart of it instead of all of our own belief systems
1: it's interesting because you've already you know you've started doing that and you're you're well on your way of redefining pharma but what i really appreciate is that you are acknowledging the last couple of years it's like you've regained some fresh eyes with exposure to other verticals and leaders and ways of doing things. So it could be that that, maybe the universe, <laughs> kind of let your company go off into another direction and then brought it back after you had this, this ability to kind of add some a fresh perspective. It's just so cool. A few rapid fire questions for you. What are you reading right now?
0: Cosmo, because they just did a two-page spread <laughs> on the trust. I read that. <laughs> Everything you need to know about you know, Viagra. I love it. It, it just is, um, it's just incredible. So honestly, that's what I'm reading right now. on my desk.
1: Fair enough. Good piece to it. It just came out, right? So what keeps you up at night? The, the, I think,
0: you know, what kept me up at night, so I'm going to time date stamp this a little bit, was for all of the folks who have beliefs around this particular product, they don't keep me up at night. People who want to impose their judgments on other women—that doesn't. The haters, if you will. Um, what kept me up at night is that women who deserved access to it didn't have it, and they didn't—they were being told that they couldn't have the choice. I think the things that keep me up at night are the injustices. Um, I've always been fueled by injustice, and so you know when I when I witness that, whatever that may be—a woman who is overlooked—a uh, Obnoxious comment to a dear friend of mine who's doing great work. Whatever that is, those are the things that keep me up at night.
1: Oh, that just reminded me of something I saw that you shared on Twitter and Instagram to your haters, and I—I I don't want to paraphrase, but do you recall exactly what you posted?
0: Yeah, I said, uh, "Dear haters, I have a lot more for you to be mad at. Just please be patient. XOXO." <laughs>
1: that was just so lovely and such a renegade move. And it's just now I'm still working on this and there's a lot more to come. So (laughs) that's amazing. If you're in kind of a crappy mood, what is the quickest way you can evolve that and
0: transition into happy mood? Can I pick two ways? Sure. You can pick as many. Okay, One is to call my big brothers
1: who basically
0: will instantly beat it out of me and tell me that I'm being ridiculous <laughs> because that's what big brothers are there for. People have always asked me like, oh, you're the youngest. You have two big brothers. Are they so protective? They missed that memo. They believe that it's <laughs> their job to toughen me up. They won't accept any of my bullshit. Um, and I think the other thing is, um, and this one will, is maybe the, the more unusual, is actually spending time outside with my pet pigs.
1: I thought it was pig singular. Do you have
0: Plural. You have more than
1: one pig. Tallulah
0: and Theodore. Yes. A sweet, sweet little couple of pigs. And, uh, you know, that's just about like shedding it all. Uh, I tease that, you know, you go out there with them, you're reminded that no matter where you are in life, you still got to scrape the shit from your boots. And, um, And they have a good way of grounding me for sure.
1: That's amazing. And one of them I heard you went and picked up across the state in your Porsche. Is that correct? Yes.
0: <laughs> you we did have a hashtag, pig, pig in a Porsche. It didn't catch on, um, sadly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, pretty, it was pretty incredible. My boyfriend got the call to rescue it from across the state. Uh, we drove, got her in the car, brought her back. And, and uh, you know, that really, it, there's a joy in animals and rescuing animals and all the love I think they give back to you. They, they know that they know that you got them out of a bad circumstance.
1: Mm, I couldn't agree more. And for Inquiring Minds, is your Porsche pink? Oh, it isn't. No.
0: Oh, Cindy. <laughs> I know. But you know what? I can't believe I don't at least have pink calipers. Like that has been on, there's a why not now. I'm going to get that done, Amy Jo. The hell with that. I don't, I've thought about that for a long time. I need to be getting some pink calipers for this Porsche. Okay,
1: there you go. I'm going to hold you accountable. Be ready to see some some proof. Pirates or ninjas, Cindy, who's tougher and why?
0: Ooh, I say ninja because they sneak up on you, right? It's the element of, I love the element of surprise. I feel like that's a good thing. People never see you coming, but they know when you get there.
1: (laughs) And what advice would you give to your younger self?
0: I I would tell my younger self, lose the perfectionism. It's only going to slow you down. You worry too much about getting it just right, as opposed to just going doing it. And if you get it, you know, ninety percent right, you're doing better than most.
1: Oh, that's good. I wish I would have heard that. Yes, early on. <laughs> and where can people
0: find you and follow along, engage? I hope they'll they'll find me at Cindy Pink CEO across all of the social platforms, um, or visit us on thepinkceiling.com.
1: Wonderful. And thank you so much for not only sharing your time with us today, but also for the important work that you're doing and and truly impactful.
0: To you too. And so appreciate you having me on. Hey,
1: everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. Hit me up on social media to let me know what you think. I'm at Amy Joe Martin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I want to hear your Why Not Now moments so I can share them on the show. Just send me a note to whynotnow at amyjomartin.com. For show notes and other offers, you can visit amyjomartin.com forward slash whynotnow. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter for exclusive content and announcements a big thanks to rock salt music for all of the tunes by the talented john coggins and of course a hat tip to richard gruer for editing and producing the show i'll see you next time and until then why not now